Well, hey, everybody, let's put our boots on the ground, start the episode that we love, 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 Friday Ask and Answer here on The Nonprofit Show. And you might be seeing a new face. We are super, super excited to welcome LaShonda Williams, CFRE, coming to us on behalf of Fundraising Academy as one of their trainers. We're going to get to meet LaShonda in just a moment, but... Um, not that we don't love all of our other voices, LaShonda, from Fundraising Academy, but you know how it is. It's like when there's a new kid that comes into the classroom, everybody gets excited. That's kind of like my day today. So I'm super excited to chat more with LaShonda. But before we do that, we want to make sure that we thank all of our sponsors, Bloomerang, American Nonprofit Academy, your part-time controller, Be Generous, National University's Fundraising Academy, Staffing Boutique, Nonprofit Thought Leader, and Nonprofit Nerd. These are the folks that join us day in and day out, now more than 600 episodes, well over 600 episodes, um, who've been supporting us. Most of these folks that you see or you just heard their names They've been with us from day one, and we're now moving into year three, so pretty exciting. If you'd like to hear more episodes or catch up or get reminded or refreshed, you can find our archive on Roku, YouTube, Amazon Fire TV, and Vimeo. But wait, there's more, as my co-host Jarrett Ransom likes to say. You can also now queue up The Nonprofit Show on podcast. So wherever you like to stream your content, look for The Nonprofit Show and we'll join you wherever you are. All right, LaShonda Williams coming to us from Texas. Talk hey, to Julie. Us. How are you? Tell us how on earth you came into this ecosystem of the nonprofit sector. Wow, it is a wonderful story of love. Um, I mentioned to you in the green room, no pun intended, that um, I was a part of a sorority. And so I was introduced to philanthropic and engagement through sorority as an undergraduate student, uh, pledged a sorority. And immediately uh, as I began my career, my first job was in education. I was a teacher. And, you know, when you teach, you go above and beyond and you see that there are disparities. And so you tend to fill the gaps. So I began working with students in fundraising as a teacher, transitioned to work with the University of Houston, Project Grad Atlanta, um, all of which have had an opportunity to be in a philanthropic space. I worked in the um, African-Americans department at U of H. Bauer College of Business and now Purview Adam University in the annual fund. And in each of my roles, I tell everyone my mission, passion and purpose is to be able to assist students that are seeking economic empowerment through education. So it is something that is woven in me because individuals have invested in me and I feel very uh, empowered and compelled to pay it forward and, and invest the next generation. Okay, so back up. Are you telling me that you're one of those rock star women who does um, university fundraising? I am among those distinguished colleagues who does university oh fundraising. God. That is correct. So, you know, my opinion and Jarrett Ransom, uh, my co-host, same thing. And her brother actually is in this uh, part of the sector. I believe that the total rock stars of philanthropy are those university development officers. I mean, they they raise more money, they, they work with constituents across or like outside their community, because oftentimes when you graduate, you leave 
that community. And so they're able to, you know, rope people back in and get them um, interested and committed. And the biggest sums, I mean, philanthropy today, you, you can't every day it comes into my mailbox and it's always like XYZ University just got this super, you know, donation investment. And so, wow, that's really cool. It is. It, I, I love it. I tell people all the time that it's not work. It again, it's mission, passion and purpose. And it just makes it very easy for me. It comes natural and engaging alumni and being able to connect alumni as well as friends with areas of interest to support students. That's my passion. So it's it's wow. it's a no brainer and it's very easy for me in that regard. I love it. Well, I can tell we're going to learn a lot from you. Now, today is your first day. We're not making it easy on you. We're getting you in that hot seat. We're going to have you open up that beautiful brain of yours and give <laughs> us the good so that we can figure out the answers to so many of these questions that have come in. So you ready? I am ready. Fire away. All right. Okay. So Michael from St. Louis, Missouri writes in, do you have any protocols on if or should fundraisers, oh, this is an interesting question, should meet at a donor's home by themselves? We're trying to come up with some guidelines for our expanding development team and thought we should address this. Hey, that, good for them. Yeah, that, that's a really great first yeah. round question. Yeah. So, Michael, we're very excited that you shared that question. And my response is, you know, very simple. Once you because you've gone through the donor cycle, you've had the opportunity to get to know the donor. Uh, you have developed a relationship. And once you've developed the relationship, it'll naturally transcend into an opportunity to engage face to face. And obviously, you want to first and foremost make sure that the space that you'll meet face to face is a comfortable space. There are instances where donors may be comfortable with you inviting you to their home, but there are instances you may want to be in a public space. So you'll have to use your judgment as well as ask the donor what's most comfortable for them. And as it relates to particular protocols, obviously you want to make sure that your organization is aware of your visit and those individuals that may or may not accompany you and also inquire with the donor who else will be at the home. From a university standpoint, we have travel requests. And so with travel requests, we actually put in exactly the exact location where we're going, who we're planning to meet with, the timeline, so that we have that on record. And as far as developing the protocol, it would be best to meet with your leadership team as well as those frontline officers to establish collectively what would be the protocol, because you want to make sure that not only you are comfortable, but the donor is comfortable as well, and you want to minimize any potential liability. So definitely establishing some protocols and there are a variety of ways to do that. And so think about your organization and how it be applicable to you. So LaShonda, I mean, first of all, I love everything you've said. You've, you've thrown some new things at me that I have never thought of, or, and I've never had to think of them, but my next level to this would be, it almost sounds like you're advocating that there would be a second person with you from the organization. And I got to say, especially if you're a female, I mean, you know, in real estate, you would never um, show a home. Right. Without or, the ID. Yeah. I mean, you, you just wouldn't do it. So it, talk to me about that. I mean, so, you know, again, you know, 
once you've established that relationship, obviously the leadership team and others on your team will know that you have a relationship with that prospective donor. And it's very important that you you know, properly vetted them, meaning they've been qualified and you have their contact information. You've been able to verify that they are the person that you've been talking with. And so that in itself is one mechanism to help provide some safeguards. But I would definitely, for certain, put mechanisms in place because you want to make sure that you ensure the safety of yourself as well as the donor. Um, There have been instances where our frontline team have gone in tandem with a partner to visit um, individuals in their home, just kind of depending on the relationship, the newness, or if it if it's a new relationship or if it's an established relationship with the organization where there's a high level of comfort. But most important, you want to put safety first. So I would definitely say put some measures in place to ensure safety for everyone, not just the employees, but also for the donor. Yeah, I love, wow. So Michael, thank you for sending that question in. I, we've never had an, a question like this. And, and when, you know, in our discussion, I'm like, wow, we should have had this discussion. I mean, it's, it's a pretty basic thing to have. Um, and maybe it's, maybe it's because we started the nonprofit show during COVID when nobody was going out. And now exactly everyone has shifted their paradigm and they're like, well, we can meet on Zoom. And again, comfort level. If you're comfortable with closing a deal on Zoom, then I say go for it. Because again, you when you're getting ready to close a gift, you want to make sure that all elements are in place, that the timing is correct, you've done your assessment, you've pre-qualified, that the environment is such that you won't be interrupted, you'll be able to share the case, and you'd be able to make the connection and seal the deal. So comfort is everything, and always put the donor first, but let's also keep safety in mind. Yeah, I love it. Wow, what a fascinating question. I'm going to be thinking about this all day. <laughs> um, all day long. I mean, because, you know, LaShonda, you kind of sometimes I think, and this is just braggadocious, but sometimes you think, oh, I know all the answers or I've I'm, I've seen all the questions. I mean, we're all so- talking the same thing, but that's not true. And it's an evolving sector. And so when we get a new question or a new thought, it's exciting. It is because we're, like you said, we're in a different space. You know, pre-COVID, everything was face-to-face. We've had to transition to a hybrid uh, world. And so with that, there comes some additional complexities and there also comes some additional conveniences. So I think that, you know, it's it's very great, good to be flexible and keeping our decisions as we're making them donor-centric and you can't go wrong. Yeah, I love that. I love that you said that. I think that's, that's it right there. Okay, let's go to um, William in Roanoke, Virginia. How do you feel about sending out a press release that announces a major donation? We are thinking about creating a template of sorts that would be sent to our local media outlets. Do you see any problems or issues with this approach to keeping our nonprofit in front of the media? Oh, gosh, William, that is another great question. So I'm going to start with... First and foremost, we have to keep in mind donor privacy. So as long as your donor is comfortable with the announcement, I say sing the announcement to the rooftop, always have a press release ready 
because it not only creates an opportunity to steward and recognize the donor in the way that he or she would like to be stewarded or recognized. It's an opportunity for you to create a heightened awareness about your organization. And last but definitely not least, it creates an opportunity for you to potentially secure additional support for that particular area and or initiative. So whenever you can share a profound story that helps add to your organization's brand, by all means, you want to definitely sing your praises and steps tell your stories because who better can tell your stories than your organization? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and my sense of it is, is that people like winners. Exactly. And And we want to be a part of something greater than ourselves. Yeah. Okay. Now devil's advocate. Devil's advocate. Go ahead. What do you say to those folks that are like, we don't want to be too braggadocious because we don't want the community to think that we don't need money. So that is a wonderful question. And I will say one another way to think about it, and I'm all about engagement. Okay. This is also an opportunity for you to engage some of your donors in a more meaningful way, considering hosting a salon or focus group and talk to them and ask them what they think about the organization and the frequency that you're sharing communication, how they would like for it to be shared, And if, in fact, they think you do an okay job or should you put more information out there? So surveying your donors and or constituents that are recipients of the said services that you may provide is another way that you can make an informed decision. Mm -hmm. I like that. I appreciate that. You know, I I follow with you in your camp, and that is, you know, sing it to the rooftops because um, it's it's really important to educate and share with folks what it is you're doing, but also that people are marching alongside of you. Exactly. You know, people want to be around other successful people. The more successful your organization is perceived as the more support you will continue to garner. Yeah, I agree. Now in your um, work with the university, and I'm not asking you to divulge anything, you know, that you shouldn't, but do you have like a structured, if it's, you know, a million to five, we do this. And if it's five to 10 million, or do do you have those things already predetermined or do you look at each donor and kind of come up with something that works for them? So it's a combination and in higher ed across the board, you will see institutions of higher learning will have a rubric. Uh, for recognition levels. But again, it starts with what the donor's comfort level is, as well as the gift um, amount. And so there are instances where donors may make significantly larger gifts and they say, I want to remain anonymous. However, you talk closely with the donor to get to know them and identify other ways that you can recognize them to make them feel comfortable with being able to share the story. Because there are ways that you can share a fantastic story of garnering a significant gift in a way that doesn't disclose the the identity of the donor and, and provide the recognition for the institution in a way that's meaningful and that can significantly garner additional support as well as most importantly, help contribute to the overall brand of the initiative. Okay, LaShonda, now I, I warned you, you're in the hot seat. So I got I'm in a, the hot seat. I got to drill down because I've, I've, I'm just fascinated with your work and I, I can't wait to hear what you have to say. Can you give me a ballpark 
percentage of the number of donors who genuinely say, that's okay, I don't need public recognition. So based on my experience, and I've been in development for a while now, uh, they have been few and far in between. More (laughs) often than not, the donor (laughs) is perfectly okay with you sharing the story. Yeah. Yeah. More often than not, there have been a few instances where we've had donors to say, you know, I want to remain anonymous. And obviously we respect that. But more often than not, my experience is donors are okay because one, they support the cause and they want to help you to continue to garner additional support so that you can achieve your goals and so that you can make significant impact in that particular service that you're providing or for that program that you're trying to fund. Right. Well, and I think, you know, if you've worked hard or you've been fortunate or you've been lucky and you have the means to make a big, you know, financial contribution, you're probably really proud of that. Exactly. If you want to be like, hey, everybody, look what I did. I mean, so and you know, I and have to ask. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, in many instances, it's not that they're being braggadocious. I would say it's more so of join me, get you know, help support this organization, because I know that your gift can make a difference just like mine at whatever gift level you're comfortable with giving. Right, right. Okay, cool. Well, that was fun. That was really it was definitely fun. It was fun to hear your uh, your uh, comments. Okay, let's switch it up a little bit. We've got Kent from Provo, Utah, writing in, and he writes, how often should a digital newsletter be sent out? We are having internal conversations about once a month versus quarterly. Okay. Oh, wow. What's say you kid? Julie, you are giving me some really great questions that are top of mind. So Kent, um, I will say to you, first and foremost, think about what is manageable for your team because you don't want to set a standard that you're not able to maintain. Second, I know that your organization is doing phenomenal work. How frequent are you going to be able to sum up all of the wonderful things that you're doing? And last, but definitely not least, I always divert back to asking the donors, asking the recipients of said benefits. Holding a focus group is another opportunity to engage donors at a higher level with intimate conversations about the frequency that they'd like to be communicated with, the types of information that they'd like to hear about, because this is not only an opportunity to share your organization's success story, but it's also an opportunity to include the wonderful soft ask at the bottom of your newsletter. And we don't want to miss an opportunity to allow someone to support initiatives that you put in place that have been successful to continue to allow them to grow. Right. You know, I, I think that I love everything you said. um, But I have to say, where I get where I would push Kent is that you need to do once a month based on, you know, I love that. That is my fallback rule. I'm a once a month or two, like I completely wholeheartedly agree with you, but you have to have the systems in place. And so again, it depends on the size of your organization. If you're able to push out the information on a monthly basis, I definitely concur with you, Julia. Let's get it out on a monthly basis because as the frequency also determines how often someone thinks about you. Well, that's just it. I mean, 1.8 million nonprofits in this great country of ours, that's a lot of noise. That's a lot. It is of a lot. 
And I just worry that if you're not sharing what you're doing once a month, you're going to get lost or you're going to have to reintroduce yourself and don't make it a novel. Don't exactly, you know, you can say, okay, we want to touch on three to five things. Exactly. And And do it well. Yeah. Do it well and create a template and, and don't be, I, I, this is the other thing too. I was thinking when you were speaking with Shonda, you know, people think that they have to recreate a whole new fresh thing every month. And actually that's disruptive. You've got to be consistent so that when somebody sees that branding and they get that message, whether just they're just scanning on their phone or they're on their desktop, if you're lucky, they kind of are like, oh, yeah, that's right. ABC. Exactly. It's that time of month again. Exactly. Or what are they doing? Or Exactly. And you're absolutely spot on with that, Julia. You want to make sure that you maintain top of mind. You want to keep it consistent. Um, And an opportunity also, if you're in a smaller shop, is identify some volunteers who would like to help as a contributor to your newsletter. So being very resourceful and engaging is a plus. You can never go wrong with that. Yeah, I agree. Well, Kent, I, I hope that LaShonda and I have like twisted your arm to go to that once a month because I, I just feel like yeah. it's uh it's a missed opportunity. And I loved what you said, that soft call to action at the bottom of the newsletter or something that, you know, helps amplify what's going on. And, and I think that's really, really important. Well, hey, are you ready for one more, LaShonda? I am ready for one more. This has been a fantastic <laughs> round. Good. Okay. Anna from Tucson, Arizona writes, as the holidays approach, we are seeing, are you seeing any fresh ideas for team holiday gatherings? Okay. Interesting question. Due to COVID, we canceled the past two years of holiday parties. And now we're wondering what are some options going forward? Honestly, nobody's super excited about doing anything. I know. (laughs) You know, listen, hybrid has made everything so much better and more convenient for everyone. We have become very, very creative as a result of going through COVID. Uh, (laughs) I can understand some of the hesitation However, we have to get to the point where we can transition back to how we will define our new norm. And for me, I would say the new norm is approaching events from two standpoints, putting on a face-to-face event that can also be functional and meaningful in a virtual space. So that if individuals want to be face-to-face, you have them. And then for those that their comfort level is not quite there yet, being able to align your program in such a way that even though they may be joining you remotely, that they feel like they're a part of the program. And it's, you know, it's it's timely that you would ask this question because upcoming editions, uh, my colleague Mui is going to do a presentation on events and how to reach your goals, which will tell you some specifics about how you can maximize the types of events that you want. And, you know, in addition to speaking with your staff, I am 
completely an advocate for engaging donors as much as you can and as frequently as you can and ask, you know, what the comfort level is. And that can give you a gauge on how many people you may want to plan for for your face to face event, Mm -hmm. as well as talk to them about some of the things that they'd like to experience if it were hybrid so that you can have a nice balanced event that will create a meaningful opportunity for those that are present and those that join you virtually. But it's time to kind of move into the event space and engage just a little bit more, just a little bit. You know, it's so interesting because I I think that our, our, uh, you know, when I read this, I I see it, Anna asking on behalf of almost like a staff, you know, a staff event. And, And I can, I think that our nonprofit sector, they're exhausted. You know, they have, they've dealt with a lot of pandemics, not just COVID. They've dealt right. with social injustice, civil unrest, economic tumult, political strife, uh, you know, the incivility of, of people and how they're behaving towards one another. And so they're on the front lines of this crapola, if you don't mind me saying. Um, and so I can see where a team holiday gathering might just seem like, oh, you know, I don't want to do it. Um, but I kind of like what you said, you know, maybe it is time to say, look, let's rejoin and, and remember why we liked this. You know, how LaShonda made, always made me laugh at the water cooler or, yes, you know, maybe yes, that I have jokes for days, Julie. <laughs> I love it. You're my kind of gal, you know, but I, I also think there's a part of me, Anna, I'm thinking, you know, Anna in Tucson, Arizona, I know Tucson, it's a wide, it's a, um, uh, geographically dispersed it's not like dense right so people have to travel in and i can so i can kind of visualize that but there's a part of me lashonda that says take that money that you would have spent on a team event and buy gift cards to you know a supermarket or find somebody that's a partner that you could you know distribute um and maybe that would have more value which it goes against that team building concept. And so I kind of hate to say it because <laughs> I think, oh, we do. Well, you know, as, as you're talking about this, this is giving me an idea of something that's kind of a no cost or a low cost, Yeah, you know, comfort level COVID, you know, concerns, something outdoors, you know, taking it back wow. to childhood experiences, having those wonderful team games, volleyball, you know, the, the, the lucky shoe horse yeah. don't do th- please do not whatever you do do not play dodgeball <laughs> I hate I did not like dodgeball <laughs> but you know playing some of those outdoor games um, and then there's also instances where you can go to facilities that are outdoor facilities that are team building and they have all kinds of adventure and tracks and trails and so you can do some things that are outside that kind of create some continuity wow. for um for less concern and also create space that, you know, if you want to maintain a certain distance that you can. So think about some outdoor spaces and places that you can go that are low cost that can, you know, foster a fun environment where you engage with your colleagues in a meaningful way and do some team building while you're at it, you know, climb a rock (laughs) on those military walls. I can see it happening. You know, I like that. And, and what you said um, is, it made me think, you know, there are a lot of organizations that they've hired on new folks and those people don't know one another except across exactly. a Zoom. So mm-hmm. I, I agree. I think, OK, I take back. Don't just 
cheap out and send the gift card. Get- you know, you could scale down, not cheap out. Just scale down, you know? Yeah, Whatever the budget of- was, you know, in the past, just go down like maybe half of what the budget was. I know, I know. And then go volunteer in an organization together. Okay, you're right. And that's like really preaching to the choir because that's a that's a good thing. That's a good thing. I'm reading, before we let you go, this amazing book. I haven't finished it. It's called Wonder Drug. It's written by two physicians, um, and they talk about the scientific knowledge that's based and research that's based on how we behave and how we feel as human beings when we are empathetic and when we give back and when we volunteer. I mean, actual hard data on how it changes us as human beings. And uh, you're absolutely right. Even though we are in the nonprofit sector, when we give back, it changes us. It changes our physiology. And uh, we'll get into that later. This book, Wonder Drug, check it out. It's available on Amazon. You can download it to your Kindle, Snippy Snap, and you're good to go. Hey, LaShonda, you have been a gem. I love all of the personalities from Fundraising Academy, and you are part of a fabulous team, and we are delighted to have you on another episode of the Nonprofit Show. Ask and Answer is sponsored by National University's uh, Fundraising Academy, and it's really fun because every Friday, Jarrett and I get to bring one of their amazing minds onto the Nonprofit Show and really dig down into some of these questions that come our way. So you have been just a delight and we're going to see more of you, my friend. I'm definitely looking forward to seeing more of you too, Julia. It's been great. Good, good. Well, we've had a lot of fun. Remember, you can always send your questions on to us. You can call us, you can email us, you can go on to um, the nonprofitshow.com or you can even engage with us on social media and we'll queue up your questions for the, um, the fabulous folks at Fundraising Academy. Again, we want to thank all of our presenting sponsors who are with us day in and day out. Bloomerang, American Nonprofit Academy, your part-time controller, Be Generous, Fundraising Academy at National University, Staffing Boutique, Nonprofit Thought Leader, and the Nonprofit Nerd. These are the folks that are with us day in and day out, as we said when we kicked off the show. And so please find some time to check them out um, because they are here to support you. Lashonda, from the get-go of starting the Nonprofit Show, we created a sign-off, and I'll share it with you today. We share it every day. Um, And it In the beginning, we said this because it was about COVID, but now as we've been moving forward, I think it's about a lot of things, mental health, physical health, relationship health, economic health. I could go on and on and on, but we always sign off with stay well so you can do well. Mm -hmm. How about that? Profound. Stay well so you can do well. All right. Hey, everybody, we're going to see you back here. Next week for another episode of The Nonprofit Show, we have a huge lineup next week talking about all sorts of exciting things. So please join us. LaShonda, you're a rock star. Ah, It's only because I have you to help me be a rock star. Without you, I'm just a backup singer. (laughs) Hey, backup singers always have the best voices. You know that. You are absolutely right. And I tell people all the time that there are no small parts. They're only smaller actors because we all play a wonderful role in this wonderful world we call life. 
It's true. It's true. Well, you're a gem. We'll see you more. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much. Have a great weekend. Thank you.